Terrifying and twisted. <laughs> it's me, Carla. Me, Phil. Hopefully, you already know us by now. How is everybody? It seems like it's been forever. That's because it has. It really has. Just one thing and another. We've been. It feels like we've just been one thing after another. Really busy, aren't we? Me working nights. You working nights. Me working days. Literally coming in, passing, we're passing ships, aren't we? Travis having COVID. Yeah, little and had uh, COVID. It's had a bit of a knock-on effect to him as well, bless him. Joey having his rugby games. End of season. As car. That's been an absolute fucking nightmare. Someone crashing into his car. <sighs> to be fair, I was fuming. And I even put a status on Facebook saying I hope he catches crabs. But I had to retract it because he was really decent. He came over to find us, didn't he? Yeah. At end of day. And he even brought a bottle of Prosecco. <laughs> he can take that shit straight back. Yeah, because I said to him, uh, we don't really drink, but currently me and Carla are sat here with a gin, gin. each. <laughs> that tells you what kind of uh, time period it's been. That we're sat drinking a gin on a Saturday night. Fucking rock and roll. Never happens, does it? <coughs> so I hope everybody had a good Halloween and... It's obviously it's bonfire weekend this weekend. Yeah, and another thing, out of the four kids between us, three of us, including me, have birthdays in November. Yeah, so it's a very busy time, isn't it? Yeah. But we love it. Expensive time. Fucking, we work all but year. But we won't just... have it any other way. No, work all year, just for two months a year, don't we? Uh, so what I've got for what we've been watching, um, we watched 24 Hours in Police Custody. That was a hard one we've this watched, week. We've watched a few, but uh, last week it was about child shaking. Yeah, shaking ba- baby syndrome, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so it was a bit of a rough episode. Do you know, and for anyone else out there, I don't know if you've been following it, but that takes me on to a case that's happening right now, and each day from the trial is documented. So I'm currently on day 12 and it's about a little girl called Star Hobson who tragically died and mum and mum's girlfriend are currently at court for it. It fucking happens, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it's quite it's quite tough. If anybody is into or fancies having a look, in, look into that, that case, if you have a quick Google of Star Hobson, you can literally read from day one at trial everything's laid out you get to see all exchange of text messages between them and everything it's been quite interesting to keep on top of it uh, another thing that we've been watching which i would like to get other people's opinions on is murder island so i think uh next week is the last episode yeah it's final it's down to final couple so i would it? like to see what everyone else has thought of that um we also watched the priest and the paedophile on her yeah we did 
and that was fucking unreal. Yeah, it was. It was mad, that one, eh? Yeah. I so, was telling Kerry about that other day. I think that's on Sky Crime, so if you can watch it, watch it. Um, another thing that I watched was Temple on Sky Max. That's worth a watch. It's not true crimey, but um, it's about a surgeon that opens an illegal underground clinic. But it's good. And last but not least, one thing that we watched... 10, 15 minutes on was breastfeeding my boyfriend. Fuck off. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, I'm all to being into whatever you're into, but that, we didn't even... We couldn't even watch full episode, could we? No. It was bizarre. It was just so weird. Now, anyone that knows Phil on a personal <laughs> level will chuckle at this, but a bit of a fact. Phil can watch Naked Attraction either because it just cringes you out, doesn't it? He don't get it. He don't understand how you cannot meet somebody in real life but you'll go on national television. And show your fucking cock and God knows what else. To the entire nation. There's just some weirdos out there and we all know. <laughs> Far too Pe well. People have their own little things. I mean, fucking grown men. Dress up as don't, my little ponies don't. and shag each other. Fuck off. That's a little inside joke. <laughs> but it's true. It happens. Lock it up. Wow. So, on that note, I'll, <laughs> I'll just go straight on to my case. <clears throat> my case this time is, well, these two people were dubbed the Runaway Devil and the 300-Year Werewolf. Okay. Going by the names of Jasmine Richardson and Jeremy Steinke. This case is based in Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada. So, the Richardson family. We've got Deborah and Mark as the parents. Easygoing people, well liked. Apparently they're pretty cool parents, rode motorbikes and shit. Yeah. They met in 1990 in a gym, fell in love. And they committed to a sober lifestyle as they'd overcome substance abuse. So, you know, They've been through shit and overcome it. Got the self the life. Yeah. Friends would say that, you know, they're one of the happiest couples ever. Mark worked in an oil and gas industry, described as a bear of a man, handsome, with a moustache. Deborah de was described as perky all the time, happy, beautiful, and was into holistic therapy, which I think has to do with crystals and shit which our daughter's into at the minute oh she's massively into it to, she's made me take her to a crystal shop today are not she yep. to spend a birthday money fuck me I need <clears throat> I needed some crystal healing bit time we'd done in there <laughs> so Jasmine was, was born in October 1993 Jasmine would described as pretty wholesome an honourable student went to a Catholic school loved to draw made music she was on the swim team Happy social girl from Willowdome. No red flags. Yep. Jacob, a younger brother, at this time of the event, was eight years old. He was an energetic boy, bit of a class clown to Star Wars, into hockey. And it said that Jasmine and Jacob had a really good brother and sister relationship. Jasmine started to change at around 11 years old. And under this, I've put... What 11-year-old doesn't? <laughs> True. She started getting into dark makeup, 
into dark music clothes. She was into goth culture. She's just finding who she is. Yeah, listen to Cradle of Filth, Slipknot, which, you know, I, you I, did, I yeah. listen to. And she, apparently she looked like she was 16 years old. The summer, between grade six and seven, she was hanging out at a mall where a load of goths would meet up on a weekend. Hanging about with 18, 19 year old boys. But obviously she dressed older. Yeah. Her online things, she had MySpace, Nextopia, Vampire Freaks. And she was sharing proactive pictures to make her look look like a bad girl persona. So like I said, she started to change. She probably got an attitude, which most fucking kids do. By grade seven, her teachers and her friends had said that there'd been a dramatic change. Bearing in mind, she went to a Catholic school. Yeah. She'd turn up full goth, short skirts. A little bit of a rebellious stage. Now, as there would be, the parents were concerned because she was knocking about with older boys. Yeah. And in 2005, when she was 12, she met Jeremy Stinky. Stinky. Apparently, he used to get called Stinky. <laughs> Jasmine's friend introduced him at the mall and... Jeremy Stinkett was 23 years old. So she was 12. And he was 23. Right. Jeremy was quite popular in this goth group. He um, used to call himself Soul Eater or Pain Razor Blades. And it was just a bit dark. Yeah. And Jasmine liked it. Jeremy had a green firebird car. Used to do donuts in mall car park. Jasmine probably thought this... Dude's cool as fuck. Yeah. In February 2006, Jeremy sent an email asking Jasmine to be his girlfriend. And they had a first date a few days later at a punk rock show. Jasmine said that she told him she was 13, but Jeremy said he was under the impression she was 16. And obviously, this relationship was pretty secret. Yeah. Deborah and Mark, the parents, began to monitor Jasmine online and they found out about Jeremy. So they put a stop to it, forbid Jasmine to have any contact. They wasn't aware of our world, Jeremy was, I don't think, but they were aware that there was some age gap. Yeah, he was definitely older. So they grounded her, took her computer away, all the usual stuff. Yeah, <clears> but then that just pushes them together even more, doesn't it? Jeremy was a very dark person, obviously dressed in goth. He wore a vial of blood around his neck. Claimed to like the taste of blood and claimed to be a 300-year-old werewolf. Okay. Jasmine used the school computer to keep in touch with him, communicating through MySpace with him. So Deborah and Mark must have come to the conclusion that they wanted Jasmine to go to family counselling, and they went to family counselling together. And I think something happened where... Jasmine had got out of the house, broke out of her house. Not that it's a prison or whatever. But she'd gone to this punk rock concert to meet Jeremy and the parents went after her because they must have known where she was going and they found her making out with Jeremy in the alley. Right. So obviously, they're still pissed off. Jasmine told the counsellor that she wanted to go into foster care because she couldn't stand all the rules. So... There was a tightening of rules from Deborah and Mark because obviously you're 12 years old 
you're sneaking out of the house yeah. to meet a 23 year old man even Jasmine's own friends agreed that it's gross that this 23 year old is into this 12 year old and they say that for Jeremy and Jasmine it was kind of like you and me against the world yeah Romeo and Juliet the thing is shit. The thing is, they were very different from normality. So they will have been drawn to each other so much more if they were both into the gothic scene and both into the weird little things, then surely they'll have been drawn to each other a lot more than normal people. Now, Jeremy, he had an unstable upbringing. His mother were an alcoholic. He suffered severe abuse from his father, his stepfather's. He was bored as a child. There was obviously the pun on his last name, Jeremy Stinky. Yeah. He was a high school dropout. And it said that Jeremy had fetal alcohol syndrome. So his mum were an alcoholic when she was pregnant. His mother used to go on one week benders leaving him on his own. And he turned to goth life at 22. Many people described him as mentally about 15 years old. Right, okay. Smoked weed daily. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently he tried to hang himself, he's cut himself. So after these two were found in Alley, it said that then Jasmine started planning to kill her family. Several friends of both sides said she were begging Jeremy to kill her parents all the time. Wow. She used to say to him, you need to do this. If you love me, then you'd do it. Conversations became more violent from him. Jeremy wrote dark poems about slitting her parents' throats. Some of the emails that they sent between them is pretty dark. So, allegedly, Jasmine hated her parents and wanted them dead. Fucking <clears throat> hell. That's not just hating somebody. <clears throat> so, this is a few of the emails. He posted, My lover's rents are totally unfair. They said that they really care, they don't know what is going on, they just assume, their throats I want to slit, finally there shall be silence, their blood shall be payment. A few days later, Jasmine emailed him saying, I have a plan, it begins with me killing them, and it ends with me living with you. On April 23rd, 2006, they had a family barbecue at Jasmine's home, Jeremy had drank and took drugs all this day, watching Natural Born Killers, the greatest love story of all, which Carla couldn't watch. No. And it said that Jeremy asked his friends to help, which they said no. A phone call came from Jasmine. He took more drink, more drugs. He leaves his trailer at 3.30am and has a black neoprene mask and a knife. He arrives at Jasmine's house and she lets him in the basement window. Deborah, her mum, hears and Jeremy attacks her straight away. Stabs her 12 times, saying, die, die, die. Wow. In the meantime, Mark, the husband, comes and attacks Jeremy. You know, because his fucking wife's dead. dead. Yeah. And Jeremy ends up getting the better of him and stabs Mark 24 times. Pure fucking rage. And it's said that while Mark is dying, he's asking why. And Jeremy says, because you treat your daughter like shit. She wanted this. 
and it said that Jasmine were watching at the top of the stairs. But there's one more person in the house. Oh, no. So Jasmine goes to Jacob, tells him to shush and go to sleep. And she tries, but fails to strangle him. He runs in another room, and it's said that Jasmine chases him and slits his throat. Now, I've wrote one of the two slit his throat, but that's because later on in the case, yeah. they blame each other. Of course they do. <clears throat> so they get rid of their clothes. They have sex after this massacre, go to a party less than a mile from the crime scene. It's said that Jeremy was bragging, saying that he'd cutted him like a fish. They go on this road trip, to basically run away to get away. So the crime scene, there's blood everywhere, up the walls, on the floor, ceilings. It said that the neighbour's boy had actually found uh, the crime scene because I think he might have gone to call Call Jacob. Police obviously realised that, hang on, there's the dad, there's the mum, there's the son, where's the daughter? Where's the daughter? So they go to the school and they search a locker and they find a stickman drawing. And this stickman drawing is a girl lighting this house on fire with her family inside and laughing. What the fuck? It's also said that Jacob died with his lightsaber in his hand, trying to protect himself. That poor kid. Police put an alert out for Jasmine and Jeremy. And as it stands, the police have got a lot of fucking evidence. The emails, the digital footprint. Yeah. Sunday, April 23rd, uh, 2006. A rookie officer who was obviously on lookout for these triple murderers had gone home at 2am and woke back up at 5am because he came up with an idea in his head that these two were going to need gas. So he went to the biggest one in town and parked up. 7am rolled around and this pickup, matching the details, pulled up to this gas station. And Jeremy and Jasmine are not on their own. They're with the friends Kaylee, Casey and Jenny. And they see the front of the newspaper. They show it to Jasmine and Jeremy and they're giggling and they're laughing about it. Jasmine had asked Casey to lie about Jeremy's black eye that he'd actually got from Mark. So this rookie copper called him back up and they're all arrested. Jasmine had no remorse. She had loads of different stories. And she fucking instigated it all. She said that Jeremy were putting her under pressure. Jeremy admitted to killing the parents. And he said that Jasmine had actually killed the brother. Yeah. Which, why would he admit to the parents and then try and blame her if it were really him? Yeah. He's already going to spend the rest of his life in prison. And because of Jasmine's age, Jasmine's ID was protected. She was charged with three counts of first-degree murder and she pleaded not guilty. November... November 8th, 2007, she was found guilty on three counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to 10 years, maximum allowed by Canada's Youth Criminal Justice Act. 
She was credited 18 months time served and four years in a psychiatric facility. Remaining time under supervision in community released on parole and she was released on parole in 2016. Age 23 with a new ID. Gosh, you fucking were. As of 2020, Jasmine's record is expunged. There's no record. She's free. She never has to disclose anything. Who she is, yeah. Yeah. Jeremy's trial, um, what happened is while he was inside, an undercover cop posing as a prisoner got a recording of him. And he said, quote, you hear about that triple homicide? Yeah, well, you're looking at him. Me and my old lady have become legends. Yeah. said that Jasmine's dad, dad fought like hell. These details met this undercover copper feel sick. And when it came around to child, he claimed it was self-defence and he were off his nut on drinking drugs. And they found him guilty on three counts of first-degree murder to serve three concurrent life sentences and no parole for 25 years. And he's eligible for parole in 2031. Fucking hell. And it said that Jasmine never said sorry, never showed any remorse. So it just goes to show, was she was she the mastermind behind it or was Jeremy the mastermind behind it? I think they're both as fucking bad as each other. To kill her own brother as well. Yeah, absolutely vile. And funny enough, we've both done family murders this episode and we didn't even know. <laughs> because I'm going to take you to my case. That's how sick we are. We're in tune. So, this time I'm doing the Lisk family murders. So, it's Halloween 2010. And Love I'm, Halloween. And, see, to be fair, I chose this because this would due out on <laughs> Halloween. And now it's fucking behind. Yeah. But anyway. So it's Halloween 2010 and we're in Columbus. Columbus, Ohio. 16-year-old Devon Griffin has just finished church. He spent the weekend at his biological dad's house. And he had church on Sunday morning. Then he was going back to his mum's house. So Devon had sang in the church choir that morning. He went home. When he gets there, straight upstairs into his bedroom and sits and plays on his computer for a bit. You know I used to be in church choir. Why are you bullshitting? I did. When I were about eight or something. Are you being fucking serious? Yeah. There you go. Been married ten years. Why have you never told me that? It's not summer. That just comes up, is it? Anywho. So he'd gone back to his mum's, gone straight upstairs to his bedroom, and he's playing on his computer. But as dinner time came round, he noticed that the house were very, very quiet, which were quite strange because it were half past one, and he knew his mum, who was 46-year-old Susan Lisk, would be up and about by now, but... He couldn't hear anything. Devon had actually called home earlier that morning before church, but it was around half past nine. The only person that he saw was his stepbrother, 24-year-old BJ Lisk. He ran in, changed his shirt, ran back out, went to church. 
So Devon decides to go downstairs, see if anybody's about, but he can't find anybody. He goes up to his mum's bedroom, he opens the bedroom door, and it looks like his mum and stepdad, 53-year-old William Lisk, are still laid in bed. Oh, they've been shagging. And you've just fucking interrupted them. you just interrupted them, so they're pretending they're asleep. No, no, go on. So they're still in bed. If I was strange, it's middle of afternoon, they're normally up and about. So he starts shouting out to his mum, trying to get her attention, and he walks into the bedroom. But as he gets closer to bed, he notices that their blanket is pulled up over the reds. A little bit freaked out, he shouts her again. She don't respond. So as he walks round her side at bed, her legs hanging out of a blanket, so he gives it a shake. Nothing. So when he goes and pulls the blanket off, notices that her pillar is soaked in blood. And there's quite a lot of blood. Traumatised, he runs out of house. First person he rings is his auntie, called Laurie. She then rang the police and explained what had happened. When the police got there, they couldn't believe what they were about to walk in on. This were, this house was in a very rural part of Columbus, sitting on roughly 100 acres. Fucking hell. So it's very fucking secluded. Yeah. So the police find the dad, Bill, laying in a natural sleeping position and he had been shot five times in the head and face okay. at close range. The mum, Susan, she had been shot three times and raped. She was laid differently and the police believed she was moved after she died. They said it's likely Bill was shot first, which then woke her up and she would have been shot after. But they could never determine whether she was raped before or after she died. Right. So they killed <clears throat> the bloke first, took out the threat. Yep. According to the police, the bullets that was used to kill them were from a smaller gun, likely a twenty-two. Not that I've got a clue what that fucking means. The one that's in my drawer. Yeah, just <laughs> outside at bed. Now, please... If there's any coppers listening, I haven't really got a fucking gun. <laughs> we'll get fucking raided now. Only gun I've got is a fucking Nerf gun, mate. <laughs> so the police then start to wonder about the rest of the family. There were Devon who were outside with his auntie, but they didn't know where his stepbrother BJ was and his other brother, Derek. BJ didn't actually live there, so they weren't that concerned about him not being there. It wasn't strange for him not to be there. But they needed to find Derek, so they sent some officers up to 23-year-old Derek's bedroom and they find his doors locked. So they kick it in and they find Derek curled up on his bed in like a fetal position facing his wall. The coroner determined that he suffered blunt force trauma to the head and died within minutes of the first hit. The police actually later found a claw hammer covered in blood inside the house which matched the wound to Derek's head. So after talking to Devon, the police learned that the Lisk family had multiple guns on property but after checking, none matched the gun that was used to kill him. Interesting, so did Derek get killed first? 
with the claw hammer to be quiet, then the dad... Because he's obviously switched weapons, hasn't he? He's used a claw hammer and then he's used a gun. Yeah, right. Interesting. They found muddy footprints near the family's pond and the thought that maybe that's where murder wa- weapon was thrown. But they drained it, they got sniffer dogs in and they couldn't find this gun. So all they knew was Devon had come home from church to find his family had been slaughtered. And BJ, who Devon had seen earlier that morning, were nowhere to be found. Now going on to BJ, he was 24 year old and he had a pretty troubled past. When Bill divorced his mum because Bill was his real dad and Susan was his stepmom. So when Bill divorced his mum, he completely went off rails. Bill then went on to marry Susan in 2001, which then added two brothers to the family, and he fucking hated it. BJ resented anything to do with the whole family. Bill actually had to call police a number of times on his own son. In 2002, he had to ring them because BJ was threatening to harm himself and being quite threatening towards them. So... He didn't know what to do, he rang police, and then when they arrived, he attacked them, meaning that he ended up facing charges in juvenile court. Then in 2004, he attacked his stepmom, Susan, in an argument. Then two months later, he was charged again for assaulting her and stealing her keys for a car. BJ was actually found incompetent to stand trial, so the charges were dropped. It wasn't until he was 18 that he tried to attack Susan again whilst she was in the shower. At this point, his dad sort of said, enough's enough. And he was asked... naked? Yep. So his dad said, enough's enough, you need to leave. Yeah, get your shit and get out. His dad would still visit him a lot and BJ went to live in like a shared accommodation type place. But Bill would visit him quite often. He were always trying to make things work, always trying to involve him in this new family. He still loved and cared about him, but he just really struggled. It's safe to say that BJ were missing and most of the other rest of the family were murdered. Friends and family were really quick to point the finger and voice the concerns about BJ. Mark Bradley, who was a long-time family friend and neighbour, said that Bill had called him multiple times over the years for help with him. He even told police that he was sure BJ was responsible for the torture and death of a few family pets in the past, which he did actually approach Bill about. It's not looking good for BJ. It's not. So in February 2006, Bill applied for full guardianship of BJ because he had, he was hospitalised with schizophrenic disorder, a type of bipolar and he needed a guardian to get moved into the shared house. So the weekend of the murders, Bill had taken some holidays from work and he had taken BJ hunting. Just them two, bit of bonding, time alone. They had a cabin in Carroll County that they used often when they went hunting for deer. And that's where they stayed. They returned home on the Saturday and with it being Halloween, they were having a bit of a get-together with neighbours. So they had a few drinks and had this little Halloween party. Now, Mark Gradle, one of the neighbours, was there and said everything was normal. Everyone was okay and getting along. Um, BJ, who wasn't normally allowed to stay over, 
because of his violent behaviour, ended up staying the night on the sofa. His dad had been drinking and couldn't drive him back to his own house. Once Devon had left the house the next morning for church, BJ took the family's car and drove back to this hunting cabin. Stopping a long way, got his sent a subway, sorted him sent out. Foot long. And, and go into this cabin. So that's where the police said, and that's where they find him. He was arrested and he was then charged with aggravated murder. BJ pled guilty to all three murders. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. There was never any answers to why he did it. He just said, I did it. I did it, yeah. He never sort of gave reasoning behind it. I don't understand what motive it was apart from, was it the, the, the bipolar? Yeah, or, like you said, it's... <clears throat> ironic that we've both done family murder massacres. Is it a case of just a over angry teenager with all these emotions and, you know, 90% of us can deal with it? And thing is as well, everybody said when I looked into this that he only really changed when his mum and dad separated. Yeah. Which obviously had a massive impact on him. It's sad. Like you say, people handle things differently don't they well, now yeah, that's why some people shag each other dressed up as fucking my little ponies, my little ponies. <laughs> or breastfeed the boyfriends oh. do you know how would it ever come about that conversation i know we're going completely off subject here but we've said it before about murderers i think a woman would be stood there getting undressed and he'd just run up and just start sucking a boob yeah and that's how they get into <laughs> it but it's same as like when we've spoken about say, Mama. No, it's too Mama. far. It's like when we've said about Fred and Rose West before. How did it come about that they found out that each other were interested in these sick fantasies? And is it just something they decided of a tea one night? Yeah. Sort of like you with Joe and Love. What? Like they just discovered that this was how each other yeah. ticked. So if people don't know, we're talking about You series. On Netflix. Fucking awesome. It's really good. We've just finished last se- newest series, haven't awesome. we? And it's been good. So anyway, in 2015, at the age of 29, BJ actually committed suicide whilst in prison. He, Like I've just said, he always said he didn't know why he did it, what made him do it. Now, his stepbrother, Devon, who obviously found his family, he just remembers how calm and happy... BJ seemed that morning, you know, when he ran in for his shirt. And he told the police he wasn't usually the talkative type, especially to these two stepbrothers that he blamed a lot. But on that particular morning, he was showing an interest, asking him where he would go in, what time would he be home and stuff like that. And little did he know, all his family were slaughtered upstairs. Another interest in uh, thought. So, BJ is obviously killed his older stepbrother. Yep. His stepmother. Yep. His father. Yep. And he speaks to Devon. Yeah. Don't do anything to Devon. No, just takes himself out. Interesting. Hmm. I couldn't find any, like, all I could find about Devon now was just how much of an impact it had on his... Which it would. His life. Yeah. He was mentally unstable for quite a while, but he seemed, from what I've gathered, he's, he's back on track now. But... That's not something that you're going to forget, is it? No. At all. So that ends the Lisk family murders. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please keep messaging us like you do. Yep, and I've just said to you, Anna, before we've started, I think I'm going to jump on TikTok bandwagon with us <laughs> podcast because a lot, I didn't realise as many podcasts use TikTok, but it's another platform, isn't it? If you haven't listened to us before, it's just husband and wife, two fishing chairs in the bedroom. Usually sat not, with a not brew. Out, we're not out special. No. We're just, you know, thought we'd give it a go. And yeah, we're here 20 we odd episodes later. Any case ideas that you want, we'll do. Give us, yeah, we'll give consider. us a message. Yeah, so I hope you have a good weekend. And we shall see you soon. See ya. Bye.